0: Welcome to Mind Your Autistic Brain. I'm Carol Jean, and I'm The Social Audi. You know, there are times in our lives where we meet someone in person, and you just know that is your person. Like, you immediately have this connection, you have this incredible conversation, and it's fantastic. Then, there are these times, and they're very rare, and they're very special, that you read a writer's work without ever having met them, and it so deeply and powerfully touches your life that you have to meet them. It doesn't matter what or how it happens or what you have to do to make it happen. That person's writing so deeply touched you, you had to meet, you had to meet them. So joining me today, the person that is that writer for me is Jamie A. Heidel. She is known as the Articulate Autistic and her writing is spectacular. It, ha- <laughs> it is 100% changing the workforce. And if you are an autistic who has been in a job, you've lost a job, you fought to save your job, you've gotten fired and you didn't understand why, you have constant problems at work, communication, Jamie's talking about all of it. And she's here with us today to share what she's experienced and why her writing is so incredibly impactful. Welcome. Hi, I'm Carol Jean, founder and host of Mind Your Autistic Brain talk show and community. And you're about to experience the new way to thrive in life and relationships as a late identified autistic by unveiling who you are, how you communicate, finding your self-care plan from the inside out, and being the authentic creator of your best life. Get ready because this is where we go against the mainstream. Say no to outdated society norms and we say yes to who we are in order to create a joy-filled, balanced, and more neurodistinct world. Welcome to Mind Your Autistic Brain. Welcome to the show, Jamie.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Carol Jean. I really appreciate it.
0: Well, we've been we've been building up to get here to this day, and I'm so excited. This has just like been on my calendar, and I have just been waiting. And I'm like, when's Jamie? When's Jamie? (laughs) So we could have this. This this is exciting. This is exciting. Jamie, share with everybody just to get us kind of started. Let people know who you are because you are really, in my book, just so incredibly spectacular, and everything about you, I just love. The more I read, the more I love. <laughs> Thank you. The more we talk, the more I love. I mean, seriously. Aww. But I want people to know, like, how did you learn you're autistic? How did how did autism come into your world? I mean, not that it wasn't there from like day one. Oh but, my know, gosh. How did it become like concrete in your face? This is it. This is the answer.
1: So I was about 27 or 28 in the year 2008. And I remember I was at a job that I actually really liked. Uh, this was one of the few jobs that I, that I liked that I that wasn't in a constant communication issue with. But one thing I noticed is that um, somebody came up to my desk and they told me a joke. And I didn't know it was a joke. And I looked at them and I'm like, what are you talking about? And I was so confused. And the guy kind of walked away and he's like, and I was just like, what? What the hell? And it was a, it was a culmination for me. So I typed into Google. Why do I take everything so literally? And Asperger's popped up. Now, this is back in 2008 when Asperger's was still a diagnosis. I know that that's not something I associate myself with now, but I started to do the research. Um, instantly, I, f- I looked at the traits. I started, I joined a, a forum. I can't remember what it's called now. And I started talking to people. And all of a sudden, my whole life made sense. And I'm like, oh, my god that's what this has been this whole time so I read um I read a a couple of books and I very excitedly and um naively told my family this is this is what it is this is this this whole time you've been asking me all these questions why am I like this why do I do these things why do I take things literally why this why that why 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 and I said I have the answer and they're like no you don't this isn't you you're just doing more things to get attention. You're a hypochondriac. You're looking on the internet to find a diagnosis for yourself. We don't believe you, which was devastating. So I knew what I was and I never varied from that. I never wavered from it. Once I figured out what what it was, I I read this book uh, called Pretending to be Normal. Um, It is one of the most impactful books I've ever read. It was like reading my life story. And the more I read, I read some stuff by Rudy Simone also. And I was like, this is me. This is me. And I started, I would tell more people. um, Some people who weren't in my family definitely were like, oh yeah, I could see that. Uh, But mostly I think my family had this idea about me um, because I'm 42 years old. And uh, so I grew up in the 80s and 90s where the only way somebody would see you as disabled is if you had very high support needs so it had to be basically visible from the outside or you were just a hypochondriac you were making it up you you know if you could hold a job or have some friends or do something you people just didn't see it they didn't see what i saw they didn't they didn't experience life through my eyes and i did try to tell people i mean i even remember sending a family member the book pretending to be normal with stuff highlighted and it was like can you please stop doing this for attention so i was like i'm on my own cool, cool. I've been on my own for a very long time. So I get it. I'm like, all right, this is my fight and stand on my own. And, uh, I, I got more and more into it. And I, I started to identify, I was like, I have, this is what's going on with me. And then it took me about until 2014. I unfortunately had a complete mental breakdown and I ended up in the hospital for about five weeks. And I also have OCD and complex PTSD. So I wasn't diagnosed then they actually diagnosed me with borderline personality disorder, which is a very, very, very common misdiagnosis in women who are autistic. And I didn't believe it because I don't fit. I don't fit it. I just don't fit it. And I'm like, okay, this isn't right either. And I went to see another therapist and the therapist that I had at that time finally diagnosed me and said, you know, yes, you definitely, again, this is not a word that people like even hearing anymore, but they said I had Asperger's and I said, okay, good. I got the diagnosis. I immediately wrote something down, went on YouTube. You can still find it under the articulate autistic and wrote with shaking hands and read like this, what I wrote about finally being diagnosed and everything made sense. Everything made sense. And then I excitedly told my family, guess what? They still didn't believe me. So I'm like, well, fine then. Um, And then I want to say a few years later, I started to notice I was doing another project called, I told you I was sick because I also have a lot of health problems and nobody believed that either. So I started to think about why I do the things that I do. And I've always been very explanatory about who I am. I always explain myself. It's just literally who I am. And I started doing a series called why autistic people do that. And this was after a fallout with a family member who once again said, you're not autistic. You're just a bad person. And that was about probably 2018, 2019. I started becoming the Articulate Autistic because somebody had said to me in a, in a private message on a DM, they're like, I said, why don't people believe that I have whatever that? I, and they're like, well, you're too articulate. People don't believe that you could struggle with understanding things because I also have learning disabilities, but I don't know what they are. They're not specific. And they're like, there's no way because you're articulate, because you're articulate, that's what stops you from being believed. And then I started calling myself the articulate autistic, and then I got it trademarked. So here we are today. It's a long story. You're probably going to have to edit a lot of that out, but that's how it started.
0: Uh, no, I wouldn't edit one split second of it because that's you, that's your story. And that's why we're here. That is, that's the whole premise of this talk show, (laughs) because it takes, it takes us having these conversations. It really does. And it, it sucks that it takes us having these kind of conversations to feel like we're to know that we're not alone to share pardon me the beep show because i don't have high-tech equipment here but the beep show (laughs) (laughs) that
1: that that we go i had to censor myself a lot during that um so (laughs) i understand
0: (laughs) don't you love my high-tech equipment i have my own mouth it's
1: just more yeah, fun my life, life, life is a theme show. I get it. I completely understand. I totally understand.
0: Oh my god, we're gonna just we have just start a whole new thing. It's everybody's now gonna do this. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. So, oh my god, I love it. But you know, and that's really especially for those of us who are women. You know, and it it can be you know if you're a female at birth, it could be if if you've transitioned any of the in-betweens if you don't fit just sort of any basic standard model of societal expectations or you fit it but not really it's just enough that people just assume you fit in that box and so then they make all these assumptions about what you're able and capable of doing Mm -hmm. because you quote unquote look like you should be able to do it right And when we're talking about our physical difference, because it's not just a neurological difference, we have physiological differences that go with our variant neurology. And that is such a big part of the conversations that I, I love to have because we I know I suffered for decades with Ooh, caboodles, I mean upset stomach, which now I look back on, you know, when you hit your first massive burnout at age six and tell your mother you want to die and kill yourself because and you don't know why, but you're just so dang miserable. And you can look back on that in your 40s and go, that was my first massive burnout. That's what was going on. And then you suffered digestive issues. I mean, I don't know any other six-year-olds that went to proctologist. I was at six in massive autistic burnout with. Horrific digestive problems, like beyond
1: proctologists really were for just men. I, You mean gastroenterologist or do you mean proctologist?
0: They took me because I was having serious bowel issues. I went to a gastroenterologist. I went to a proctologist.
1: Wow. Okay.
0: Because they wanted to check because, hmm, okay, I'm just going, we're just, this is a real show. We're going to have real conversations. I had yellow poop. (gasps) Oh, God. And they never did figure out what it was because I mean, I was sick.
1: Yeah, I was was too. I was super sick. They thought I had lactose intolerance or something, but it took me till I was 22 to find out I was gluten intolerant. So I do understand.
0: Yeah. I mean, and I didn't until 2016 and my dad's a celiac and he was diagnosed celiac when I was a junior in high school. Now you got to remember, this is back at the late eighties, early nineties, when this was like, my mom was ordering food from Seattle, say, being shipped to Mobile, Alabama. Cause you, were get you, anything. where were you? Was it the gluten-free trading company? Cause I did the same thing. Yes. To get the yes. rice blend flour. Cause it was, yes, like the old- I remember that. I remember that. Yep. And it was just like, you know, when, when they started changing food labeling, oh my God, we basically had a party at our house
1: oh because we thing. had the
0: Celiac society binder, in our kitchen. And we all had to learn how to read food labels very early on because there's like 40 different words for gluten. Yes.
1: I actually had them memorized. Eventually I got to the point where I could scan something like a computer. I'd just be like, Nope, Nope. Yep. <laughs> and it you know, takes, I love the you- that labeling became a thing, but it was, it just became automatic for me.
0: Yeah, me too. And like, that's pretty much what I do now. And uh, Josh's mom was just uh, diagnosed as celiac about a week ago. And she's like, I don't know. I'm like, look, you're lucky. You have me to help you. And I was like, I already do most of the cooking and everything we eat is very clean. So for the most part, you're in good shape other than what you choose to eat on your own, which is probably where we got to start. But it's just like, you know, and it's all the little stuff that it creeps in, you know, because Back in the day, I remember deodorant and toothpaste. Yep, there were certain, you know, because gluten is an added like binder, like a starch type thing. In so like even medications, like if it's dusted, yep, you know, in some, you know, like my dad is that sensitive. I'm not as sensitive to like micro amounts, but it all depends. But you know what was a big one for me because like we talked about this for a second before we started. Like mine was my joint pain. Okay. That was a huge one. Like when I got off gluten, the joint pain was what was huge. Like in 30 days, I was like, holy cow, I didn't know how bad I hurt till I stopped hurting. But what I've noticed for me also is that it has a huge impact on my mental health. Oh, you too. It's, it makes me like I get violently angry, like for no reason. Like I'm mad about everything and I get suicidal it's really staggering. You are going to put a trigger warning on
1: this since you've said suicidal, yes. correct? Yes. Okay. Just want to make sure. Um, yeah, I had stomach pain from birth to 22. And, you know, like I said, if you're, if you're catching up with the running theme here, guess what? Nobody believed me. So, um, I, and it didn't matter how sick I got. I mean, I, I, and, you know, I had those kind of problems that you're mentioning, maybe not to that extent, but I mean, it was really obvious something was wrong. And, uh, I didn't, I didn't know. And then I remember being on the elimination diet and I just sort of like, like a fog had lifted and I'm like, I'm not in any pain with my stomach. Like I knew, I knew no life without pain. There was always pain. And I'm like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Is this how I'm supposed to feel? And then I've noticed if I accidentally get gluten, I'm either irrationally angry or all I can do is curl in a ball and cry. So, and I definitely noticed that, um, my autistic traits, although I, I always have them. I feel like, I don't want to say they get worse because they're not symptoms, but like the, I know I can just sort of zone out and just, I'm not there anymore. Gluten really messes with my neurology. So I have to be really careful. I usually know if I've been gluten because I get erratic and sometimes, you know, I usually notice the stomach pain, but yeah, I've noticed that it does, it does a dozen number on my neurology. It can take me weeks to recover from being, getting gluten by mistake. I get yeah. it.
0: I get really bad brain fog too. Like really, like you want to talk about executive dysfunction. It's like, I can barely get from one side of the bedroom to the other. And I'm like, I mean, you I don't even
1: know you're like floating. You're like just floating through life.
0: Yeah. It's really weird. So Jamie, how, how has, how has all of this now in retrospect, when you look back at your employment, like your your careers and your job <laughs> because this is this is what you write about this is your this is the voice and the advocacy that you're sharing well this is actually so pretty new
1: I've only started uh, talking about um being autistic at work and the, the misunderstandings because I was hired by someone to do so. Uh, at first, I actually never really spent any time on it at all. I talked about why autistic people do certain things and, you know, the sensory sensitivities. And I love to t- take the small things and break them down and say, you know, is your autistic loved one doing this? This is probably why. And ask them, you know, because you don't know. I Just because I experience it doesn't mean that your autistic loved one does. But I think it's really important to be like, okay. This is why, and it's things that I guess a lot of people didn't think of, because they would say to me, like, I break things down to the nitty gritty. And I do have always been like that. I need everything broken down to me in tiny digestible bites. So that's how I do it. But I actually, I think it's a really good, I feel like this was something that was meant to happen because I met, um, Corey from Specialistern and she hired me on like a few months ago to start writing about basically being autistic in the workforce. And I started doing that. That's how you met me. So I actually never, I didn't, I hadn't even gone there yet. So I think I probably would have eventually, but I hadn't even gone there yet uh, to talk to employers. But then you asked me about my experiences and I told you a few things and I'm like, I never realized how traumatic it actually was for me because I moved out on my own when I was 17. So I had to keep a job. I had to find a way to survive somehow. So I I have some stories, which I will get into, but yeah, it's, I, I look back and it does make sense to me now but there was no way I could have known these things. And that's why I'm trying to educate, educate people now to get them to understand why their autistic employees are behaving in a certain way or why there's a miscommunication so that it doesn't keep happening. I don't want a young autistic person to go into the workforce and get fired constantly and not know why. Uh, It was devastating for me and I didn't, I didn't realize it. I didn't, I've had a lot of trauma in my life and that's just fact. I don't say that because I'm looking for sympathy or anything like that. That's just fact. And so when I look at the things I've gone through, losing my jobs were actually pretty small traumas compared to what I've been through in my life. So I never thought to really sit there and and think about it from this angle, but um, I do now that I've been thinking more about it. I'm like, yeah, it really was hard for me. So yeah, I'm I'm fine with sharing my stories. Um, Some of them are actually kind of funny. If you look back, I mean, they're not funny, but they kind of are. So it's interesting. Um, I don't know. I, I just don't want other people to go through it. I don't, it's horrible.
0: I'm 100% with you, (laughs) which is why I started the neurodistinct workforce movement because it's so important because there are, I mean, I just just spoke with someone today and, and they shared with me, they're like, I'm so terrified, I made a mistake. It was a communication issue and I'm so afraid I'm gonna lose my job and I've lost jobs before and I never knew why. And that has been a traumatic influence. I mean, it's, we are more easily traumatized because yeah. we are more sensitive, because we more are, you know, more empathic, whatever label or idea you want to put on it. I mean, because everybody's association is different and that's cool. But because we are impacted in a much more profound way than our other neurotypes in the world. I mean, I don't. I, I really. I'm so sick of neurotypical as a term, and I think it's just really phasing out. Honestly, I mean, it is phasing out.
1: Unfortunately, I'm hanging on to it like like a koala in a windstorm. I don't know why, but I just I use neurotypical because I don't like the term holistic for whatever reason. I don't know why. I don't, I don't like either. It, it doesn't I work, work for me non-autistic either. versus autistic. I'm like that, that works for me. But neurotypical, I, I tend to use it as a broader term. I've even had a few people say on my writing, I shouldn't use neurotypical. I'm like, but I don't know what to say. Cause I don't want to yeah, say, all. Oh, like, like what else? Is is, yeah. And not everybody's, not everybody's um, idea of what neurodivergent is the same. And and so, right. so one group of people thinks that neurodivergency is, is this list and other people thinks it's this and it's, I get confused. So I tend to use the same terminology. I do about, I have trouble keeping up with uh, the changes in terminology because they happen very quickly, but I'm trying to, I sometimes I'll say non-autistic, but when I say allistic, it just doesn't sound right to me. So I just don't use it.
0: You know, but- it was so funny. I saw it for so many months uh, when I first joined into the autistic online community and I, it, it just, it never made sense to me. It was just like this foreign concept that just never had concrete feeling for me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. I'm so glad it's not just
1: me. Well, because a lot of people are really, really into that. A lot of autistic advocates are like allistic, not, you know, and autistic and and you, you make the distinction. And when I talk about neurodivergency, I'm not, you know, sometimes most of the time I stick to ADHD and being autistic because that's what I am. I also have OCD. Some people put that in the neurodivergent category. Some people don't. So it's confusing for me. And I, I I like to use the same language. I want to be inclusive, but if I don't understand the meaning of something, I just don't like using the word
0: because it's a comfort thing.
1: It just doesn't feel authentic to me. And I want to be as authentic as possible too. But I also don't want to offend people. So it's, it's you're walking a fine line.
0: It, yeah, it is. And you know, that was one of the things that I started in my, uh, my private, my neuro autistic brain community group was we have a whole section for vernacular because when you're late identified and you're just, you're like, Hey, I'm here. I'm finally at the party. I'm late. Like everybody else. Hi, <laughs> you, know, yeah, you right? show up with, with the only vocabulary that you have which is oftentimes still in so many countries across the globe, you have Asperger's. And so So, they're looking right even still. And that's fine. That's what is predominant in that country. It doesn't make it wrong for that person. It means they got an answer and this is their start. And I see so often people just get like dog piled and, and just like the dumpster dumpster fire starts because somebody is excited. They've gotten their, their identification and they finally figured out why life has been so hard. And they're just ecstatic to go find their people and they show up and they're like, Hey, I just got my diagnosis. I have Asperger's and, and I'm high functioning and I'm, I'm just so excited and I'm looking for some answers and it's like, shoo, Oh no, it's
1: horrible. Ah. It's horrible. That's a whole other podcast. That's a whole other
0: just, I totally, and it
1: kills my The amount my soul. of dogpiling that goes on is, is a whole other podcast. That's all I'll say. Um, And, I,
0: and so I yes, was like, really okay, so we're going to do vocabulary. Really doesn't
1: know. They're not aware. And yeah. it's like, you know, instead of gently explaining, Hey, look, this word is actually associated with this you might want to be careful or we don't use functioning labels. We, we, it, there's no room for gentleness. It's like, how dare you? And I'm like, wait a minute, what are you doing? This person didn't know any better. You know, they didn't know they were going to offend you by their terms. So that's, that's something that I, 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 get it. Um, if someone, it's like, I have corrected people, but I don't do it in a way where I'm screaming at them because honestly, I think autistic people have gotten enough of that in their lives where we say the wrong thing. And I'll, Allistic, non-autistic, neurotypical people are screaming at us. So why would I want to do the same thing to a fellow neurodivergent person? To me, it doesn't make any sense. It's cruel. And it also doesn't make any logical sense.
0: Yeah. You know, there's just, and I think that's kind of goes back to sort of what we're talking about today when we're talking about our workforce experiences. And that is, you know, we've been in jobs, we've had jobs, we've had all these responses and reactions to us being ourselves be it asking why for clarification trying to figure out exactly what it is they're trying to tell me what do they want me to do and being very literal so when someone says xyz we're gonna yeah, do, do xyz X, Z. yeah right and, it, and they're so like many... that is not
1: what i meant why would you think that and you're like you think the whole world is gaslighting you one of the oh, hardest yeah. things to come out of, and I'll just do this as a side note. One of the, the hardest things about, for me, about being autistic in a neurotypical world is that you are being gaslit all day long. They don't do it on purpose. They speak in subtlety and nuance. But if someone says, I need you to do X, Y, Z, and you go and you do it, it's like, the, um, I think I, I gave an example of this. I can't remember what post it was on, but it, um, somebody from the autistic community said, I think it was on a TikTok. They're like, my let's say my mom asked me to go water the flowers in the garden. So he went out and he watered the flowers and he came back. And this guy looked like he was in his late 20s, early 30s. Came back and, you know, whatever. And then his mom was like, how did you, how did you do that so fast? And he's like, I watered the flowers like you asked. And she just looked at him. And was like, I wanted you to water the whole garden. And it's like, she was thinking that he was being a smart aleck. He was doing exactly what she said. Now, that's a pretty easy example of, okay, we're just getting a little frustrated here. But have these misunderstandings every day of your life, in your career, in your relationships, for years and decades, and you end up with complex post-traumatic stress disorder like I have. Uh, because the communication's just off. Nobody is trying to be a jerk. No one is, is being smart or anything like that. You know, that smart aleck thing, that's, that's not what's happening. And I think that that happens a lot in jobs. Uh, a supervisor will say, I need you to do X, Y, Z. You go and do exactly that. And the supervisor is, the next thing you know, you're in the office being written up. And it is terrifying and confusing and, and, and traumatizing because you don't know what's happening. And then to make matters worse, you ask and sometimes even beg for an explanation and you're being told that you're talking back to them. It is so damaging. I It would be hard for me to even put into words what that does to the psyche after decades of going through it.
0: You know, when it... <sighs> think everybody is on the other side just like their heart is just connecting to that right now because that's such a big part of the experience and you know you wrote an article that I just I I loved so much I mean I love all of them but there was one that just like really jumped out and it was when your autistic employee or your autistic child, any autistic person is asking why, it isn't a challenge to your quote unquote authority. It's simply looking for the necessary information that we need to execute what you want done.
1: Exactly, exactly. I couldn't have put it better myself, exactly. Did it shock you, Um, it shocked me. Did it shock you when you learned that there were two meanings
0: to questions for neurotypical people? Oh my God. Not only did it shock me, but I got like super obsessed with figuring out and learning all about the unspoken communication language that I had apparently been missing for decades. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Operating in complete oblivion. Yes. (laughs) And it sucks because you really spoke to this beautifully just a minute ago because it's, it's, it's not that it's all just you know, oh, we didn't understand or, oh, it was a, a, a miscommunication, you know, it was a, a miscommunication mismatch, as Allie and I talk about in the communication ecosystem, the communication mismatch. Right. It, it, but what sucks, and I think the the big maybe discussion point that that we are kind of folding into as we're looking at the workforce area of this communication in the workforce in particular is the burden and the the bearer of that miscommunication falls on our shoulders every damn time. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And it's not that anybody else in the conversation says, oh, you know what? Maybe I wasn't communicating clearly. Maybe I wasn't giving enough details or direction. It's always, what's the matter with you? Why didn't you read between the lines? How did you understand this? And I'm like, no, that's a problem.
1: It is a problem. I think sometimes um, non-autistic people us assume, although I think it goes both ways. I think autistic people and non-autistic people both do this because autistic people see the world one way and non-autistic people see the world another way. And when we're trying to communicate with each other, it's like two different neurological languages. And one person can be completely oblivious to the fact that that person's going to take it literally. And I do think sometimes there's, it does fall on us because there's fewer of us than them. So it's kind of like, okay, there's something wrong with this person in the way they communicate because a hundred other people are on my side and there's just one person over there doing something that I consider strange. So I think, I think that's where the disconnect is. That's why I try to explain things. I do, does it make me angry? Absolutely. But I also like to see why things are happening and try to come at it from an educational perspective. Uh, it does end up landing on our shoulders all the time. And that's why I'm trying to tell people, hey, it's like uh, uh, when a, a parent says to, her ch- to their child, like, well, well, I told you to do this. Actually, you didn't because you used subtle language. You used your body language. You used, and it's like, oh, well, my son or daughter is ignoring me. No, they're not. They're not picking up what you're putting down. And to yell and scream or punish or startle somebody because they're not getting it, There has to be something. This is why I try to implant this idea with all my writing is like, maybe this person's brain works differently. So give them the benefit of the doubt, please. That's in short supply in this world. And say, hey, hold on. I need you to do this specifically, you know, and and explain the task. And then, then if the person's not doing it or, you know, I think you'll know if they don't want to do it. You know that you just the benefit of the doubt is so important, and and just saying hold on a second, maybe they didn't understand me, and explaining it again. I think a lot of non-autistic people are very concerned about sounding condescending, or um, I, th- no, I think now I think I'm going to stick with that, sounding condescending. They don't want to sound condescending to other people, so I think that the barrier, and I even wrote about this, the barrier is oh well I don't want to over-explain because then I sound like I'm talking down to the person because that's what it sounds like to the non-autistic ear, but for us it's like so refreshing. It's like I can breathe because you're explaining it to me the way I need you to explain it. And I have all the information and then I can go and do what you asked me to do. So I feel like I rambled a little bit there, but it's just, we shouldn't always have to be the ones who translate and fix everything. But I'm hoping that my writing and the writing of other autistic writers will get people at least 20 years from now on board and realize that there are communication differences. So this doesn't keep happening to the next generation of autistic people.
0: Well, please, God, don't let it be 20 years.
1: <laughs> I,
0: I'm please sorry. let it me. be really <laughs> fast.
1: <laughs> we need a whole other, yeah, and it's going to take a while. It's going to take a while. I think we're going to make changes now, but I think that, you know, people are going to come up into the world understanding um, and neurodiversity is going to be something that people talk about regularly. And when that happens, it'll be like, oh, okay, this makes sense. And it's going to be like anything else that you kind of get used to it's like oh this person has ADHD or this person's autistic and I need to I need to talk to them this way I think we're just starting to pave the way for neuro-inclusivity
0: so I think think it's going to be distinguishing (laughs) where it's just like okay you know it's kind of like I look at it as it's just just on it's like learning another language. Okay, I yes. speak French, yes. I speak Italian, I speak some Spanish. I am probably dangerous if you drop me off in Spain, but I could find a bar or a bathroom. Right, right. <laughs> but, you know, and I when I traveled in Europe, I didn't show up not having planned and learned enough language to navigate myself around. You know, I made sure I learned Italian when I went to Italy. You know, yeah these things, it's the same thing in so many respects. It's why -hmm. would I speak to someone who is a native French speaker in German? Right. Right. Why would you speak to an autistic person? And then get mad
1: at them. And then get mad at them. Exactly. Yeah, no, you're right.
0: I mean, that's just the practical side of my brain going, this is applied apples and apples. People don't
1: realize that there are two, three, four, I don't know how many different neurological languages there are, but I think, I think that that's part of it. Part of it is just complete lack of awareness that somebody could be literal. There are some people who have no exposure to autistic people, or they've only met like one autistic person. And so they think that's what autism is. And so there's, there's not enough information, I think. And I think the information it's important to have the information and it's also important to be flexible. So,
0: (laughs) so of all the, the articles that you've done in the last couple of weeks, all focusing on workforce, and I know they come from a very personal place. I know they do. And if you, if you, if you're thinking about of all the articles that you wrote, of all the topics that you have addressed, which one really was just like, this was so important for me to write. Like this one really, my heart was so in this one because this was so dear to me this, in the sense that, that I wanted to make sure this didn't happen to somebody else. Which one was that for you? Excuse me a second. I've got to get my legs under me. There's only so long much, there's only so
1: long I can sit like a, like a typical human, I have to have my legs under me. Um. Okay, so one of the things that I have written about before many times, and I've written this time and time and time again, for different reasons, is why? The most important question that I think any autistic person asks is why? And that is misinterpreted all the time. In order for me to understand what someone's saying to me, it's hard for me to explain it in words, but it's almost like I, I don't process things very well verbally. I can, but I need it in small doses. Like you can't just give me a seven step project to do verbally one time and expect me to go do it. Cause I won't remember it. I have a terrible working memory. I have a terrible short-term memory. I have auditory processing issues. So I need to be able to write things down. And I have asked, I can't think of specific incidents, but I have asked, well, why do we do it this way to understand? Like, okay, if I know why, then I'm going to, it's going to stick in my brain more what I'm supposed to do, but why it was as if I had gotten up and slapped my supervisor across the face and nobody ever explained to me why it was inappropriate to ask why, because if you ask why it's inappropriate to ask why you get in trouble. <laughs> I'm a little traumatized. Can you tell? Um, so it's baffling to me that because I, again, I didn't know. This is why I asked you if you were shocked because I really didn't know. I had no idea that non-autistic people use questions in two ways, one to get information, but two, to undermine people or to act as though they're, above other people. I don't understand that. I learned that in my thirties. I don't understand that. Um, never in my life have I asked a person why and meant you're a jerk. I don't have to listen to you. Never, ever have I done that. It's not even a thought in my head. If I think someone's a jerk, I'm just going to tell them. I would never just be like,
0: well, why? Why would I go to all the trouble of like subterfuge? Come on, I don't
1: have the room and the space for that. When I tell you as an autistic person that I don't understand, intellectually I get it because I've gone through it enough and I'm like, when you say why, neurotypicals act this way. Do I understand it in my heart, in my mind? No, makes no sense. So I have to translate that to okay somebody who is perceived as above me in social hierarchy they're a supervisor or something like that and they give me instructions and I say well why do we do it this way I I think somebody gave me a piece of advice that maybe I should say I need to ask a clarifying question but is asking why and asking questions in general is how an autistic person learns and when we are out in the workforce and we ask why, or not even just why, but okay, so when did this implementation start? What, what's the purpose for this? Why? And it's like asking a lot of questions. Um, and that's in order to understand what I'm supposed to do. The more questions I ask, the more I can write things down, the more I can go off on my own, be independent, not bother you and do what you ask me to do. But I have faced a lot of, why are you talking back to me? why are you being disrespectful? Why are you being rude? You ask so many questions and not understanding how neurotypical people viewed questions. I was like, I know I ask a lot of questions. Isn't that how you get answers? And that was a genuine response. And people were like, Oh, you're being rude. No, I'm serious. I don't understand. So I think, so I think, yes, I think that Asking questions is probably the one that I would say. I mean, I, I definitely, like I said, I, I have some stories about weird things that have happened to me at jobs, but I have to say that the why is very, very important. Being able to ask questions of any type at any point is, is important. And uh, non-autistic supervisors and bosses have to understand that this is how we learn. And by not answering those questions and also by being offended by them. I mean, if you're, you can't help how you feel, but if you act on that, being offended, you're denying accessibility to your autistic employees. And according to the American Disabilities Association, that's a crime. So if I'm gonna be really passionate about anything and need non-autistic people to get with the program and realize that your autistic employees need to ask questions Otherwise, we're not going to be able to do what you ask us to do. And then you're going to have to write us up. We're not going to be able to change because we can't. This is how our brain functions. And then you're going to end up firing us. And then we're not going to be able to live. So that is something that I'm very, very passionate about. Um, I think anybody, regardless of neurotype, should be able to ask questions without reprisal. But since that seems to keep coming up over and over and over again, that that is a huge passion of mine is, let people ask questions. And if you feel offended by it, that's okay, but address it privately and answer those questions and think to yourself, why does it, why do questions offend me? Why, why does that bother me? Like really look at that. I think, I think neurotypical people need to look at that and see why it bothers them so much.
0: Oh, I 100% agree with you on that one. And you know, that's that's something that's a really important part of of making a change within the workforce and that is the understanding of of how you communicate you know superior to subordinate but just peer to peer
1: yeah
0: and honestly it it is for the improvement and the betterment of the entire workforce across all neurological differences and mm-hmm. similarities because the more I've learned and the more I've worked with mixed neurotype workforce groups and teams, what doesn't get said, but is so greatly appreciated by the neurotypical team members is this is really taking a lot of pressure off me. And I didn't realize how much I was having to figure out. Even on, you know, on my own, because, yeah, I get the unspoken, don't ask questions, figure it out, read between the lines kind of stuff, but even I am finding this is such a relief to have a conversation where somebody's just giving me the information and I'm not having to guess
1: Yes, yes. I, I, and I, that's the thing. I don't think it's just benefits autistic people. I think it benefits non-autistic people. And I've had people tell me, look, you know, and, and get irritated with me and say, look, the reason that we don't want to, you know, we don't want to answer question after question is because we don't like being interrupted. Well, I can appreciate that. I can. If you're on a roll and you're thinking something. But if you think that the person is interrupting you to be a jerk, you're probably going to be more irritated then if you know the person's interrupting, you're asking questions because they, that's how they learn. So I think that's important too. It's an important distinction to make because I do understand and appreciate you don't want to be interrupted. But sometimes there's there's got to be a workaround for that. Like, okay, can you have a private meeting with the person then and explain it again? Or something like that instead of getting interrupted from your train of thought. I think there's, there's always room for compromise on both sides.
0: And I think there's also just creating space For those conversations, you know, because even in meetings, well, you know, send the bullet point meeting information ahead of time, give somebody time to sort of digest and process. Mm -hmm. And then in the meeting, when you're going over a specific topic, say, I'm going to deliver the information, you know, in this chunk right here. And let's what I want to do is get through it so that just in case I'm answering a question you might have halfway through, I may answer it in the next section. So if right. you would just kind of stick with me for the next 20 minutes while I cover this topic. And at the end of this, I'm going to take questions and we'll mm-hmm. dive into some clarification if you guys are needing it. And for those of you who may not have a question right now, but once you get into it on your own, know that you can shoot me an email. We can sit down and talk about this, but it's just a matter of setting up those containers and those spaces and giving space for those conversations. Because what I have found is that when you allow those whys and you allow those conversations to happen in a team dynamic, that autistic person, when you take that extra time up front, to give, mm-hmm. to give those answers, to give that clarification, to help someone like fully onboard the whys and all the pieces. Cause we're not just looking at the one thing we're looking at the whole picture. We're processing yeah. way more than you probably are even telling us.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Cause we see all, you know, our brains look at all of this. And sometimes we may not see some of these things, but you see it, but we see other things. So being able to like sit down and put it all together we're going to be the person that comes up with the streamlined process. We're going to be the person that solves a problem you haven't even seen yet, because you took a few minutes to explain it. We're like, oh, well, we've got this, this, and this. And then on the other side of that, people are like, why are you so negative? Why are you always finding the problems in everything? Yes, same, same. I'm same. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not a pessimist. I'm a realist. I tell you like it is. Well, and it's, and that the thing is that people miss the heart behind that. It's like, I'm not complaining. I'm not being a Debbie downer. I'm not saying that your project is crap and not going to work.
1: You're trying to prevent the problems before they happen.
0: Because I agree. I like this project. I'm excited about this project, right? Mm -hmm. I want it to be successful. So I want to save everybody the time and the heartache because I already see this and you guys haven't even seen it yet. Exactly. And that's a big one that happens too.
1: Yeah, that's true. I've, I've been told I'm negative and I'm like, I'm really not negative. It's just that I can see because I'm a pattern recognizer. I can't see all the things that will go wrong. So, and it's like, I, I already put the puzzle together and everyone's kind of still on. See, that's a thing. Um, there are times when I'm way ahead and there's times when I'm way behind. So it's just a matter of getting neurotypical brains and autistic brains to work together on our strengths instead of fighting each other.
0: So with your articles and everything that you've been writing lately, what is like, what is the outcome? What do you, what is your big why? Like, what is the reason? What is it? You're just like, this is why I'm doing this. This is why my brain is on this. And I am talking about some really tough subject. I'm talking about some really uncomfortable subjects. I'm talking about stuff. Nobody is even talking about, which I love. What's the why? What's the outcome you're seeking for this?
1: It is for young Jamie, um, who had to get into the workforce at like 17. And I will tell you some of my stories. um, Who had to get into the workforce at 17 and was just this wide-eyed, innocent little thing walking in and not having any preparation for the real world and the way the job market worked. I look back on my young self and I'm so surprised I made it this far. Um, I've gotten myself into some really messed up situations, and I've gotten myself into some kind of weird jobs, but also other things in my personal life too, because I just didn't know any better. And I want employers to understand the differences between, you know, certain certain neurotypes or the way people process information. But more deeply than that, I want people to be aware of how vulnerable. An autistic person can be. Um, You know, autistic people are bullied more often, ostracized more often, mistreated. Uh, I've been in plenty of jobs where just me being around them, I didn't even say anything really yet. It's only been a couple of days. And it was like they knew I was different. And I was masking at the time. They knew I was different. And I would be uh, targeted. And I eventually became a scapegoat most of the time, but I didn't even know what was going on. And I just need people. I need supervisors. I don't need, I guess I don't want anybody to be like protected like their children, but just be aware that this person processes processes information differently and is going to present differently. And they should have the same um, opportunities as everyone else. I mean, I've talked about socializing. Why socializing should not be grounds for whether or not the person advances or doesn't advance. I have been told many, 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 many times to work on my attitude, whatever the heck that means. Um, and I'm not a team player. Um, all that stuff that you hear. No, I'm not. You're right. I am somebody off in the corner who's going to do my own thing. And I think that I, I kind of understand where it came from Somebody, you know, getting along is important, but I know that a lot of times someone's considered antisocial if they decline to go to drinks after work, or if they want to go home and take a nap because they're exhausted, or they don't want to talk in the middle of a project because it distracts them and it takes them forever to get back on task. And to take points away from people and say, oh, this person is never going to get a raise or they're never going to get a promotion. That is not fair because it's nothing to do with their ability to perform. And more than anything, I just don't want to have anyone go through what I went through, not being able to ask questions, being judged for not being social enough, Um, even stimming or behaviors that seem unusual to neurotypical people. I want there to be an expansion on what is considered okay to do in the workforce, and I want supervisors and bosses to recognize the strength of their autistic employers, not just for what they can do to make the company better or how they can increase. I don't know. I'm not sure what the word is, but I think sometimes there's too much of a focus on, well, this autistic person is autistic. So therefore they can do this and make my company better. It's like, nah, I want you to see them as a person, a human being. And I think that all people could benefit from that. I think that instead of seeing your workers, like, pieces in a, in a wheel to the get in you. your beehive. <laughs> right. Don't see them as just workers. Like don't see any of your employees that way. You should see them as human beings who have thoughts and feelings and, and everything else. And don't, don't become so removed from your employees that you don't even know. I just don't want anyone to go through the things that I went through. I mean, I had, I had, um, I have to use the bathroom a lot and I'm somebody I just have to pee a lot. And I'll never forget. I had somebody listening at the door while I was peeing, I mean, I opened the door after I went to the bathroom, and then she almost fell in on top of me. It was so
0: wild Yes, <gasps> that would freak me out. Like I, she's be like, so like, well, so I don't know why
1: all. you keep going into the bathroom. So I'm gonna listen to you. And that what used you to think you were I doing like, drugs or something. I, I mean, I don't know, but I was like saying, don't treat people like that. What? Why would you be so? intrusive i mean if you want to say hey is there something i should know like do you have a medical problem but don't what are you doing and at the time i mean i can laugh about it now but at the time it was really traumatizing because i was always asked when i was a kid why i had to go to the bathroom so much and and family members would listen outside the door and so would uh teachers so i was traumatized and triggered again and i was like don't do that so even things that are different about me physically like having to use the bathroom a lot um stop you know there's no reason to do things like that and I think a lot of people get um I don't know I just want differences to be more accepted I I think that's my bottom line I want differences to be more accepted I I I really do not like the fact that so many people are suspicious of anything that's different and instead of seeing it as maybe a positive thing or the person's just different it's like oh what are they up to um I don't want that
0: I don't either. And I love that. Oh my God. Like you made me want to cry. That is just, oh, that's so empowerful. That's so important. That's so important. And it's, I, I guess because I've always been different. I've never been normal and I don't even know what normal is. And I sure as hell don't want to be normal. Cause that just, that isn't me, but no. <laughs> it's like, I see other people and I am curious. I am in awe. I love variety. I love the uniqueness of someone. I, and how other people can't have that same fascination, curiosity, and just love of another person. Even if you've never met them, even if you look at them and go, God, that's just weird, but man, that's beautifully weird.
1: I think, I think that that's, that goes back to And I've said this before, I could be wrong, but I I think it goes back to caveman times. You know, when we were all living in caves, it's like anything that was strange was suspect. Yeah, Um, everything's a threat. That's different. mm, Well, we need to get, we need to move past that. We've evolved as humans. And I feel like our, I feel like the, the way we treat each other hasn't evolved, which is unfortunate because yeah, we've evolved. We don't need to see anything, everything that's different as a threat. I think people should trust their gut instincts if they think something is dangerous to them. But the automatic assumption of malice, danger, uh, subterfuge, lying, I mean, that's, that really speaks a lot to what society has become. If that's your first thought, every time somebody does something different, well, maybe, maybe we need to look at society and maybe change that. Just the thought.
0: <sighs> Dr. Diane Hamilton gave a presentation at a conference I was in and was part of for International Institute for Learning. And she speaks on researches and talks about curiosity, just getting curious. And you know, there's a book written by Don Miguel Ruiz and I've talked about it on the show a couple of times. It's called The Four Agreements. And one of those agreements is don't take anything personally.
1: Yeah.
0: And the thing is, I used to take everything personally and I walked around wounded and hurt all the time. Yeah. Me too. But when I got curious and I just started looking at things from huh I wonder why they said that I wonder why they did that yeah it changed in it and I started to find connection and I started to instead of get mad or hurt and create these feelings of disconnect and pushing someone away because I was feeling hurt I was able to just from a sort of a more neutral place and this was not easy because. I've got some trauma. And so that was a hard thing to work through. You know, I've had some pretty horrific things outside of work uh, in my life. And it's just one of those just, I had to make that choice for me because I started to see that the way the world was thinking and the way they were behaving and feeling, I had somehow somewhere along the line agreed that that was right. Mm -hmm. And it was killing me. Mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, was killing me. Yeah. And I don't know that that is anything anyone even really talks about. No. You know, you go to EMDR, you go to CBT, you go to all the therapies and all the stuff, and nobody just simply talks about not just like reliving the trauma, not just like working through it. But it's just like for me, it was just simply starting to feel differently and just stop agreeing with the shit that was hurting me yeah yeah that wasn't easy and it was messy it took a long time (laughs) yeah no i
1: i i totally get it i mean in my quest to figure myself out when i was younger before i realized i was autistic um i read a ton of self-help books and did a ton of spiritual stuff so i i started reading all that stuff and and researching it at a very young age because i was like why am i different um, and in so doing, I became, I, I looked at the world in a much different way, because I started reading all these very enlightening books at a time when nobody my age probably would do that. So yeah, and I started seeing the world in a different way.
0: I love the way that you see the world. I really do. And you're, it comes through in your writing. And it, it opens doors, it shines light, and it throws the sash back and the, you know, the windows open, and you are like, letting in the breath we've all been holding it feels like it really does thank you you're welcome because you write and i'm just like you speak my heart (laughs) so often i mean i can't tell you how many times i read your work and i'm just like yes (laughs) it's like literally doing that You do, you seriously do. And I'm always sharing your work. I'm always referring people to your work <laughs> because it is so needed. It's just, it's it's so relatable. It's so insightful because you do take the time to to sort of give that instructional, this is a why, have you thought about this perspective? You know, it maybe it's not this, it maybe could be this. You know, when you really- you really put a whole new lens on something that somebody could have just been totally butt hurt, hurt over. Well, why did you ask me why? You're threatening and challenging my authority and you are being forced yes, to exactly was... <laughs> <way> you up. <laughs> no,
1: that's not even a thought in my head. It's not even a thought in my head.
0: Right. Um, and that's the thing, it doesn't cross any of our minds, but that other person doesn't know that. And you write about it, though. But that's the thing is like
1: being misunderstood for so long. I, I've always explained myself to a point where people probably walk out of the room. Um, because I'm explaining so much, but I think it's important that I've, I've sort of developed this as a a career, I guess, is I explain things. That's what I do. And I'm okay with that. That's, that was probably what I was meant to do the whole time. And so that's why I was always explaining things, but uh, I, I love to get into the why and understand Um, it's important to me. I sometimes miss the most obvious things that would be obvious to a non-autistic person, but then I see things and I'm like, oh wait, have you thought about this? And I had just written something actually um, on my Instagram page Mm -hmm. about, and I had said, I asked a question of, are you the kind of person that will stick up for somebody only to realize that they actually meant to be a jerk? And a lot of autistic people were like, yes, yes, I am like that. So I was the, the person, especially when I was younger, that when people would accuse me of of what these motivations that I had, I would just stare at them and, and ball my eyes out. Cause I'm like, how could you think I would do that? And it took me so long to realize that
0: that's what people are like. It's like that's then you realize, yeah. like, oh my God, that's what they do. And I didn't even realize Yes. are yes, accusing me it, of these horrible things that and I could never, never figure out why. Something. And
1: I'm like, that's what you do. And then when I realized, excuse me, then when I realized that that's what, not every neurotypical person, but when I realized that that's how society viewed things as a whole, I'm like, I'm
0: not the problem. <laughs> oh, like, like I'm showing up with all these good intentions. You're the people that I are being this me. Never me. I was like, oh my God. But then
1: I realized how vulnerable that made me. And I was like, oh crap, people don't believe that. People like me exist, that people don't think, you know, like that. And I'm like, yeah, I mean,
0: it, from I've day one, people yell at me, you can't be that effing stupid. Yes. yes like, yes, how do you, you not know. get this? And I'm like, what? And doing I'm doing like, that? I
1: seriously don't understand. And now, having been through the experience, all the experiences I have, and looking at how people are with each other, I'm like, okay, intellectually, I understand it. Okay, so I have a little bit of a shield up now. I used to be just la 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 picking the daisies. I had no idea what's going on, and there was probably like a huge dinosaur right behind me, like ready to get me. And I was just like, "Well, everything's scary. <laughs> I had no idea what was going on. So I was right I, there next to you. <laughs> oh my god, so funny! And you know, yes, you being that naive and that innocent is definitely. I mean, it can it can have advantages to a point, which you know makes me a good uh. Translator, healer, all that stuff, but uh, it certainly doesn't help. I mean, I've got myself into really messed up situations because I didn't know any better, and I just didn't—I didn't see the world the way people did. I didn't see the ugliness. I mean, I saw ugliness. I—I I, I went through abuse, but I didn't realize how deeply entrenched it is into everyday society. I thought it was like that person over there. These people are like that. Some people like this. There's a sickness that permeates all of humanity. And it's in every one of us, regardless of neurotype, it's in the air, it's, it's, it's just, it's a part of us every day so much that unless you have someone who can think outside of the box, unless you have a neuro difference, you're not gonna see it because it's ingrained in you. And once I started to understand that, I started to have a lot more compassion and not think everybody was out to get me
0: but that just the
1: world is sick humanity's sick probably going to get some flack for saying that but it is
0: no I, and, I think you're probably right on did you have like for me and I'm so curious to know if you had this sort of same experience like after you have that oh my gosh I've been missing all of this part of this conversation and this is part of this like people actually, the reason they're saying or accusing me of something is because that's what they believe. That's how they operate in the world. I don't know about you, but there, there was a period in that processing all of that and realizing that new information in my world as an adult. And I was in my late thirties, early forties, when this finally happened for me, I was devastated. I was heart sick. It hurt me deeply yeah. That the world was so wounded and cynical that mm-hmm. that's how they treated one another intentionally, that it wasn't just it a wasn't happenstance. An it wasn't an
1: accident. It, yeah, was intentional. And it wasn't misunderstandings. It was And absolute. somehow
0: it was an accepted modus operandi. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I it was, was absolutely devastating. It was devastating. It was crushing. It was probably one of the reasons i ended up in the hospital in 2014 i think i just uh, the realization i mean i don't even know if it hit me on a conscious level but i think on a subconscious level it hit me and i'm just like it's like being trapped somewhere or just looking around and suddenly seeing the world for what it is and it's it's whoa holy wh- what i I can't even describe it it's a very it's kind of a very lonely feeling because I used to think that I would reach out to people who were different um unfortunately they were on the dark side of different Hmm. and I understood them and they understood me but even they didn't have good intentions so I ended up in abusive relationships because of that so I was always trying to find I think my neurokin, and I have finally but it's taken me a really long time hi I was so happy when I met you. I'm like, Oh my God, she's so similar to me. This is amazing. Um, but yeah, it was, it was absolutely soul crushing. I mean, I, I, I understand what you mean. It was, I think I may have trauma blocked when it finally hit me and and I know exactly what I felt, but yeah, it was soul crushing. I, and then I I realized I had nobody to talk to about this. It was like, but this is how I feel. And this is how I see the world. And it's like, it's so hard to connect with other people who see it that way too. And so, yeah, you do end up feeling either alone or like you're completely insane or both. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: And that's such a, that's a hard place to be. And I think in late identified life that that is something that we experience on such a very deep level, because there's all these decades of, of hurt yeah. and to look back and go, it wasn't an intentional hurt. Then to see that some, you know, yes, some things have happened in our life where we're like, yeah, we know they intentionally hurt me, but then there's other things that you, you have somehow in, in your lives, we we try to rationalize it and explain it away, yes. right? So that there's no way this person could have been so cruel and hurt me so yes. deeply yes. intentionally. Exactly. Absolutely. And in that sort of that early processing phase, you know, and if you are in a job, and this hits you. And this is the stuff that you're processing in late identified life. And then you're, and you, most of the time you came to your late identification because you were already in like a horrific burnout. Yeah, yeah. Right? And now you're trying to work and hold on a job and all this really big, heavy stuff, the pennies dropping on. Yeah. Yet somehow you're supposed to still get up, get dressed, even if it's from the waist up for your Zoom work. Or whatever you got to do that day, be it, you know, showing up to check people out at a cashier, whatever it is. You have sometimes nobody else to talk to about this. And why is it that we somehow feel in a work environment that we can't have real conversations? Because I think those are really missing.
1: Yeah. I feel like it's in most environments we can't have real conversations and that sure. that's upsetting i mean it's upsetting that we can't seem to have them even on our personal life um one of the things that that helps me through because i think i came to a lot i think i've come to a lot of different awakenings in my life um
0: oh i can't wait to hear oh my god <laughs> please, please share because <laughs> i would what? make all the time in the world <laughs>
1: when I discovered, okay, so when I was about 22, I mean, I'll I'll go over this quickly, but when I was about 22, 23, I I identified as an empath. It was before I I had realized I was autistic and I still do, but I don't tell many people because, oh, empath, you know, I don't want to sound like, I'm not trying to sound like I'm have powers or something. It's just, I'm very sensitive. And uh, I I identified with those traits. And so I, I, once I realized that I, I, I had certain traits that other people didn't have, um, like I said, I went through a lot of spiritual stuff. I mean, I went to see a shaman, several, I think actually two a shaman, a heal- I've gone to see healers. I've even been trained in Reiki. I have done the herbal stuff. I've done the homeopathic stuff. I've done so many things. And so I had a lot of layers of awakening. And uh, one of the things that kind of helped me to deal with people who maybe weren't there yet, or were just sort of very grounded in physical reality, which I don't, I feel like I've got like one foot here and one foot elsewhere. Um, People who are very grounded in physical reality and people who are angry or, you know, just kind of suffering, but not maybe even realizing they were suffering. I noticed that I started to, I I read uh, some books and I remember looking at people and instead of looking at them with my eyes, I started to look at them with my heart and my soul. And there was rarely a time when I didn't sense goodness or their inner child or something that would make me feel more connected because I really had a hard time connecting with people, especially non-autistic people, because my connection style is completely different. So I'm not somebody who's going to have a conversation with you about like your hobbies or the weather or you know uh, your kids not that I won't talk about your kids kids are adorable, but those aren't the things I connect over. I connect on a very high level and it's about spiritual stuff and in and, and trauma and uh, you know the, the meaning of life and all of that stuff and that that's kind of where I'm at. So since I couldn't make that connection, I think I sort of had to look at people in a different way. I had to look at them as, Souls, you know, I mean, we're all souls piloting a body around, even if you're not the religious or the spiritual type. I mean, there's an essence, a spark of life that's in there. And I think that's what I started to focus on, uh, even when I was a lot younger and it helped me to one, it helped me to relate to people a little better Two, it helped me to mask more effectively. And three, it actually caused, uh, helped me to protect myself. It went a very strange way using my empathic abilities or whatever these abilities you want to call, um. Seeing people that way helped me to protect myself because I got to kind of tune in to them and deescalate them before they escalated, before they even knew they were going to escalate. Now we're going into the esoteric realm here, but um, yeah, I, I sort of had to view people in a different way and connect with them on a different level because I wasn't relating in a non-autistic way. Um, not sure how much sense that made, but that's, that's kind of how I had to do it.
0: That's like 100% sense. Like a, you just spoke the language. Like you're you're I in the right. I place. don't know if
1: anyone else watching this is going to understand what I just said.
0: I'm just going to tell you because I pretty much talk to everybody in this community at least once, if not more times, you know, workshops, stuff like this. You are, you're speaking the language. And I think one of the big things and several of my friends and several of my coaching clients and I have talked about this and it's being able to start Once we know why we connect, why we see the things no one else seems to see, why we pick up on these, like, I got a vibe off this person, you know, but for so long, we get to where we've suppressed that. We push it down because somebody's told us it's weird. Somebody told us we couldn't possibly know that. How could you know that? Right. Um, Or you're totally wrong. This is the most incredible person in the world. They're so fantastic. And you're just like, they might be looking that way. But mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I am so feeling like this is not nope. gonna go well. And three months later, the person calls you in tears because it did not I go have a well. story about
1: I have a story about, <laughs> story
0: about yeah. but it's work right
1: related part. too, so we can actually get into the story. I'm stimming by the way. So I've so, got
0: I've got this little one right here. Is it, is that a squishy? Is that a squish mellow? Oh my god, it's so cute.
1: I love this little thing. Um so yeah, I've been sitting here fiddling. So you're gonna see him pop up on the screen because now I'm shaking. <laughs>
0: With I like, oh, I love it. See, this is the cool thing. And my my little Mar- squishmallow is called Debra and she's a little dragon. We should go get her.
1: I love squishing this thing. It's so cute. I don't think it's a squishmallow, but it's something like that.
0: So, okay. I so, there's it's this, so cute. okay. So tell me.
1: There's a story. Oh, this is distracting. I'll stop. Okay. So there's, um.
0: Don't you dare. I love it. It's not.
1: <laughs> so there was a, okay. So I was working at this insurance company uh, back in 2004. So I was still in my 20s. I was 24. And there was this woman, you know, probably older, maybe in her sixties. And she was working there and she was she may have been neurodivergent now that I think about it. Um, but she was uh kind of like very mild mannered and she'd speak like this. And I'm not trying to make fun of her, but that was the only way like she would really talk like this in her sixties. So I thought that I thought that was a little unusual, and I'm not usually one to judge, but I'm like, this is again, I was curious. So I, I sort of became sort of friends with her and I had a horrible feeling within like a couple of days. I'm like, this woman's going to blow like a geyser. Mark my words. I told people, I said, something is not okay. And I don't mean just, you know, if she was neurodivergent, that's fine. If she was autistic, that's fine. But there was something going on underneath the surface that felt like an explosion wasn't going to happen. And I was like, no, you don't understand. I can't remember this woman's name, but I was like, you don't understand it. And everybody, everybody was like, this is, she's the most mild manner, soft-spoken person. So I was out sick one day, and uh, suddenly I came. I came in the next day, like two days later, and she wasn't there anymore. I said, "What happened?" She went oh, oh, like she stood up and started screaming and swearing, and spit was flying out of her mouth. And I'm like, "I tried to warn you." <laughs> But no, I told you me so to me. I was like the nobody. Don't <laughs> it was so frustrating. So I was like, all right, y'all are on your own. I'm gonna go home. I don't feel well. And they're like, yeah, they fired her right on the spot. like nobody had any idea. I'm like, no, no, nobody had a clue <laughs> I was like ducking cover because she's gonna blow, you know And it's like I'm, I know she probably suffered from some sort of mental health issue. I mean it wasn't it was just but I'm like, look, something's gonna happen. She's raring up for something. I can feel this. It's, it's, it's going to happen. And nobody listened to me. And I'm like, okay. they so frustrating because I was like, oh. Ah. I mean, nobody got hurt, thankfully. You know, she was doing a lot of screaming and swearing. And apparently they fired her on the spot and she left. So that was, okay, nobody got hurt. But yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten that vibe from someone where I'm like, and if somebody has a mental illness, that's, it's neither here nor there. I mean, I know plenty of people, myself included, of mental illnesses that are not violent or they're not going to just explode. But I know when something doesn't feel right, I I feel like a buildup in my chest. I'm like, I've got to get out of this situation. Something's not right. Or this person's not right or something. Something's just not okay right now. Um, They may be a good person, but something is not, something's coming. And I can't tell you how many times I've I've had to just get out of the situation. And then people are like, oh, yeah, you were right. I never knew that. And it seems to be, (coughs) pardon me, it seems to be very common among autistic people where it's like, I told everybody, nobody believed me and they all thought I was crazy they all thought I was crazy and they're like how did you know I'm like I don't know I have powers it's really hard to explain
0: (laughs) could you not feel it and they're like feel what like like, like, you couldn't feel the current of like anger rolling off that person
1: it was like danger 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 oh god
0: it's crazy and it's so funny because you know when you've lived your life that way and you've had this feedback from everybody around you of like, oh, they're you know, like, you're wrong. You can... you're right. You're and so you start you're to...
1: exaggerating.
0: So you start to suppress it. You start questioning yourself, and you're just like, maybe I am wrong. And then there's this subconscious level. It's just like, you stop trusting your gut.
1: Yes. And I, I, I honestly want to say that that's how I got into some of the um, unfortunately abusive relationships I've got into, is because I suppressed that part of myself that would have told me right away, run. Um, and I didn't, I didn't listen. So yeah.
0: Yep. When it comes to, when it comes to work too, I think that's one of the things where just in relationships in life, it's like, I've been in jobs where I had a really bad feeling about somebody. Like mm-hmm. I was in a job, I was in my twenties and there was a person that I worked with and I just, there was just something I kept feeling like they're being shifty. Something mm-hmm. seemed squirrely, you know, mm-hmm. And everybody loved them. They were like the popular person at work. Everybody wanted to be, go to lunch with them. Everybody wanted to be their friend, you know, all that kind of stuff. They weren't interested in having me involved in anything, but I think it's because they knew I knew they knew, they up. know,
1: you know, they know, you know, some because,
0: of them, <laughs> right. I don't know if they felt it. I don't know what it was, but it ends up. I left the job because I just never felt, I don't know, just something just never felt right. And I ended up leaving the job. And a few months later, I ran into somebody out dinner, having drinks or something. And they said, did you hear about so-and-so? And And I'm like, no, what? And I'm thinking, "Mm, I can only imagine. I I think I know, but okay. Oh God, He stole X amount of money. and I was going to say
1: they were an embezzler, weren't
0: they? They had been siphoning. Yep, no that's anymore. what I had a
1: feeling as soon as you're going
0: to tell me the person was embezzling, mm-hmm. And I was like, and I never said a word. I just, it was just something oh, because I weird. had learned by then not to say anything. Right. No, but I'm then I started beating myself up and I'm like, should I have said something? And then I'm like, no, nobody would have believed me.
1: I wouldn't have believed you. Yeah. And that's, that's another uh, thing that I have come to realize is that I, I unfortunately do still see people walking off cliffs and I'm like, Hey, there's a, there's a cliff right there. Oh, you're, you're flipping me off. That's, that's cool. And I watch them sail right over it. Cause I know there's nothing I can do.
0: It's like, I'll throw you a rope, dude.
1: I had to <laughs> try to worry you. That a while ago to just let people just walk off their cliffs because they will harm you to get to the cliff. So Okay. Oh
0: my gosh, how many times has somebody like kicked you in the teeth when you're trying to save them from going over the cliff? Yep. And it's just that's like much. you reach a point where you're just like it's not my responsibility.
1: Enjoy your trip. See you yeah. <laughs> It's
0: not my responsibility. But that's kind of a hard thing too because I think It is. It is hard. So is. we feel so responsible like we want the best for soul with everybody. We want them to have the very best. But they're gonna like fight us to the nail kicking and screaming and clawing our eyeballs out to not listen because they're so entrenched in their rightness let
1: me jump off this cliff okay have a good time um no i get it it's 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 hard to come to the place of acceptance but also i mean free will is important um consent is important i can't just because i want to help somebody i can't just be like I will help you you know that's not fair people are where they are and you have to meet them where they're at I think that that has helped me a little bit so I know. did you
0: did you have the problem where you got into work and that sense of wanting things to be just and right blows up in your face oh yeah
1: yeah oh yeah oh god yeah I mean
0: and then oh. you're the bad guy. Oh,
1: God, yeah. No, but, mm, yeah, I've had a lot of experiences where, you know, again, picture me jumping up, you know, da da, 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 da with, the, with the daisies and the, the dinosaurs behind me and I don't see them. And um, I would say something to the effect of, oh, that's, that's not how you do it. All innocent. And it was like, no kidding, shut up. And everybody does it. Maybe I can tell you another horror story. But. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know. I, Because people, you, you ever heard of the term open secret?
0: Yes.
1: I hate the term open secret. Mm-hmm. Because basically it means everybody does this thing. We all deny that everybody does this thing. And nobody ever speaks of it. But if you do, you'll get in trouble. Okay, so this one's kind of embarrassing. I have a few, but this one's embarrassing. So I was working... Um, as a medical secretary at an oncology place back in my 20s. And now that what I did, unfortunately it was illegal, um, but it was a long time ago and I really didn't know any better. So the medical assistants and the doctors and everybody, it was like a cabinet, there was like a medicine cabinet and there were samples in there. And everybody who needed something took the samples everybody who worked there medical secretaries didn't matter was a medical secretary a medical assistant a doctor a receptionist this person didn't have to have any medical training they would just go to the locker and get the drugs wow I had a friend who was going through terrible knee and joint pain I had terrible pain and this was before Vioxx was black boxed it's black labeled now you can't get it and there were samples of it and i was in desperate pain and so was my friend again you know very young no doctors not nobody's taking it seriously and i'm like let me just you know everybody's doing this let me take some samples so i didn't even go in there by myself i actually had someone i was like the person was going in uh to to get the the samples and i was like are there any viacs and she just handed them to me so a few weeks go by maybe and I'm sitting in, you know, doing my work. And somebody said, I need to get VIAX for this client. I said, the medical cabinet's out of VIAX. You could have heard a pain drop. Everybody looked over at me. How do you know there's no VIAX? Oh, because I took... it. I just said, I was like, well, everybody gets medication out of the cabinet. It was like they wanted to cover me with a blanket and like... Shove me to the floor because I wasn't supposed to talk about it. But I didn't know. Like, but everyone does this. So I end up getting called into the office. I end up getting written up. I eventually have to end up leaving that job. That's a whole other story. But I really didn't know. Everyone was doing it. And and at first my boss was like, okay, I understand you didn't know any better. And then I don't know what happened over the weekend, but I come in on Monday morning and I have to sign this, this document. To make sure they don't get sued and all this other stuff. I'm like, why are you acting like this is such a big deal when you weren't acting like it before? Of course I couldn't ask why. And then I was being insubordinate. And I mean, Oh my God, I was. And looking back, I actually, you know, I'm like, Oh my God, Jamie. Wow. But I really was that innocent. I didn't know. And, I I'm not supposed then they ended up locking the medicine cabinet and then they ended up of course then the ner- other people couldn't get to it and they hated me because they couldn't get the free drugs anymore so it was my fault so I didn't realize and then when I realized it was illegal it was like oh well I would never do that I didn't know and yeah the, oh god that <laughs> was like the worst I was like I didn't oh uh, uh, you know and of course I look back at it now and I realize how how naive I was but no I, I I I've yeah that's a weird I'm sorry that's just weird to talk about
0: <laughs> no that's so stinking relatable I think oh my god <laughs> oh my god like I don't honestly I don't know any other autistics that I haven't heard something very similar from yeah. like that's more of the norm
1: um I would like to tell you my uh, I am going to tell you my my horror story about uh being escorted out by an armed guard because I didn't I? Didn't I get a special request for that? So I will. Uh, yes, I we did. Later. That you,
0: we did have I I don't know how
1: we're going to segue into it, but
0: yes. So I mean, you're not the only one that's had that that type of experience. It's I hear it more often than not. I heard one, and somebody shared with me not too long ago, and I'm going to be very vague because I I don't want to have anybody get uncomfortable. Um, but this has happened to me, so I can I can kind of share it from a personal experience as well as been told something by your superior Mm -hmm. to do. So you do it because that's what you were told to do. Then the person that's over them says like, oh no, this can't happen. This is wrong. So your superior comes to you and says, you shouldn't have done this. You messed up, but I'm going to cover for you So just be, you know, don't say anything. I'm going to get you out of this. Like they're going to be the big hero, right? I'm going to get you out of this, but don't ever do it again.
1: And you're like, but you
0: told, but you told me to do it. And they're like, you want me to get you out of this? Let me handle this. But the whole thing is they're like basically telling you to shut up. Don't get them in trouble. Don't rat them out. You take the blame. Even though I know that I told you to do it and it was wrong, but we're both in trouble now. I'm in trouble now. And you know, it all rolls downhill. The beep rolls downhill. Uh-huh. And that is such a big common thing. It happens. And, and it's you're not taking like, the
1: hint. Like that's another thing too. I think that they they try to tell you with their eyes, are like, no, I didn't tell you to do. I mean, maybe not in that exaggerated way. And you're just not picking up what they're putting down. You're like, no, you did. I remember on this specific date and you, uh, and they want to strangle you, but you're like, no, but this, I even have a recording of you. It's horrible. It's really wrong. And you don't pick up that they're trying to get you to stop talking.
0: Right. And and then, and that somehow, you know, they also are positioning themselves as I'm going to get you out of this. So I'm going to be the hero, but basically by not ratting me out, I'm going to get you out of this. You won't get fired and I'm not going to get fired and we're all going to be okay. Yeah. So just keep your mouth shut. Yeah. And it's just like, but I didn't make the mistake and you're blaming me.
1: Exactly. Right. 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 Yes.
0: And there's this sense of very just mindedness that we do have. And it's like, But why would you lie? Why aren't you holding yourself accountable instead? You're. And then you realize that that isn't normal for this world. No.
1: That is not a typical thing for this world, that what they're doing is the typical thing. And that's why it doesn't make any sense.
0: So, I mean, you know, you, I see it's like that open secret thing. I mean, have you had any experiences where it's just like gone so wrong that you, you wake up that morning, you go to work and everything seems fine. And then all of a sudden, like the worst thing in the world has happened to you by the end of the day, you're sitting in your car going, I can't believe this just happened to me.
1: Yes. Um, probably one of my worst experiences was I was probably like 18 or 19. I was working at a temp job. And this temp job had me in hospital and I was working as a, I don't know, probably a secretary or data entry or something. I always did office work, excuse me. And so, and this, I a hundred percent know that this was my fault now, at least part of it. I know it was, but I was, again, I'm thinking creatively and I wasn't thinking properly. So, like I said, I moved out when I was 17 years old. I didn't have any support. I didn't have any financial support. There's nobody there. Every once in a while, my mom would like, you know, float me a hundred dollars, but that was it. There was no, there was no financial support, no, no cushion, nothing to fall back on. So I had to make sure that I stayed employed by whatever means necessary. So I was working on a book and low, those many thousands of years ago, it was on a floppy disc. So I, uh, I took the disc. It was actually like one of those hard discs. And I took the disc to the hospital with me. I understand how I shouldn't have done that, but I was working on a story. And the reason that I, my reasoning in my head at the time was if I look busy, because the work had dried up and uh, I knew they weren't going to need me anymore. So they said, as soon as this project ends and I didn't have anything lined up, you know, we're going to either hire you full-time, which didn't look good, or we're going to let you go. So I was like, well, I got to survive somehow. So I would take the disc in with me and I put it into the computer and I would just work on writing all day because I used to write fiction and, you know, I was like, Oh yeah, yeah. I'm working. I'm busy. No need to fire me. Everything's fine. And, uh, one day I got the damn disc stuck. So I had, I pushed, I prayed and pushed. It's like, Oh my God, come out, come out, come out, come out, freaking out. And I was like, Oh my God, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And I had, uh, I had somebody come in and I was like, I need to, uh, I, I need you to help me. I said, I got this. I'm so sorry. I know I shouldn't have done it, but work was a little slow. I, I, I mean, I, I admitted to what I was doing and I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, this is not good. So, and I knew, I knew that I shouldn't be doing personal work at work, especially not taking a disc and you know that I, Okay. But I didn't realize how bad it was because I went home and every kind of having a good laugh. Oh, you got the thing. You know, they gave me the disc back and I was like, oh, this is great. This is, this is embarrassing, but I, I'm okay. So I go, I go home and then the next uh, the, the weekend goes by and then I come home, I come back to work and I am working for maybe half an hour to an hour when my supervisor comes in with a security card. And the one thing that I've noticed that I remember from this is I only remember one thing from this. I don't remember what they looked like. I don't remember anything other than he had a gun. That's all I remember is he had a gun. And I was told that I needed to pick up my things. I needed to go to my locker. And I needed to get my stuff and I needed to go now. And I said what's going on wait no what is going on and I said can I say goodbye to there were some people that I was kind of friendly with and I was like I just want to say goodbye to them no get your stuff go to your locker we are taking you out of here now and I was shaking I was 19 years old probably with the emotional intelligence of a 12 year old and I uh I was shaking and I was scared and I was just like please just explain to me what's going on I don't understand And they're like, there were medical records that were stolen from our computer system over the, you know, like into Friday, into Monday. And you're the only person who had a disc. They saw me as some sort of um, hacker, which I could never do that. Um, And that I had stolen medical records. They, They said because of the disc that they suspected me of being the one who stole the medical records. And I got escorted out to my car by an armed guard told to leave the premises and never come back. And I sobbed my way to the temp agency, and I was absolutely in full meltdown at that point. And I went to the agency, and I I said, "I'm sorry. I know what I did. I I should not have done this." But I didn't steal any medical records. I mean, I didn't do that. They were going to get the cops involved, and the uh, somehow, some way, they found out that it wasn't either. They found out it wasn't me, or they didn't have enough evidence. So uh, the um, the the temp agency person called and said, uh, okay, you know, kind of, kind of advocated for me in some way, because I guess in some, some small way, she understood that I really didn't know any better. And she's like, obviously, you know, you're never supposed to do something like that. I'm, I know, I know, I know. I said, I'm just really scared that I'm going to lose my job. And, and now I don't know what to do. I need help. And she did end up finding me something else. Thank God. But that was one of the single most terrifying work stories I have. Is, um, yeah, being escorted out by an armed guard and being told that I was a hacker who stole medical records and thinking that I, the police were going to come knocking on my door and I was going to get arrested. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much, that's probably one of my worst stories.
0: Ooh, wow. That's a lot. Like, that's scary.
1: <clears throat> that was
0: terrifying. Jamie, I'm so sorry that happened to you. And that was wrong. Really
1: I was on the phone with a friend that night, just sobbing and like rocking back and forth. And like, like I couldn't breathe. And I was just like, I don't understand what happened. They escorted me out. And you know, it's, it's something that sticks with me. Obviously it doesn't have the same impact on me now, but yeah, that was, I, I was like, I know I did something wrong, but what you were accusing me of was, was way up here. Cause that there, I had no thought of that. and I, I couldn't have done that if somebody paid me money to do it. I didn't know how to do something like that
0: oh yeah, you're you're a hacker and, and es- corporate espionage, right? <laughs> this is,
1: this is, I mean, I, should, I should be making a ton of money if I can do that. And I, I was like, like, I couldn't your... get the floppy disk out. Why, what makes you think I can hack anything? So anybody who was waiting for that story had to wait two hours into this But That's the story. <laughs> I forgot somebody in our group asked and said, oh, I can't wait to hear that one. I'm like, all right, I'll tell it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they did, they did. And there's just so many things. I mean, honestly, we could probably do a whole series and we probably need to do a whole series. <laughs> like this. But there's just so many things. And there's so many different ways that, that the world is, is just a harder and more complicated place for us to navigate. Yeah. And really more than it needs to be because... Yeah. We're fighting like this uphill battle in the mud, you know, like, I'm like my dad uphill both ways in the snow. And I'm like, dad, you grew up in new Orleans. There's no snow. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, but it's, it's, it's that kind of thing. And it's like, you feel like you're fighting this uphill battle in like knee deep mud. And it's like, if some, if, if just a few other people would just get on board to like, start making a few changes just yeah. to learn a new language a little bit, yeah. then we could all thrive as humanity. We would yes. be a better society.
1: It wouldn't just benefit autistic people. That, I, I, And I want people to understand that. It would not just benefit autistic people. It would benefit the
0: world. Yes. We are not an ROI. Return autistic on investment? People, yeah. We are, <laughs> you don't put a neurodiversity program in your workforce for ROI you do it for a greater purpose and that is for human you do it because it's what's right you do it because everyone should have the right to be able to earn a living and enjoy what they do and not just show up and, and grind it out like a, dr- a drone bee in a hive but to show up and actually have connection and have relationships and have community and support. And it's not just a job. It's part of who you are. I mean, if you're going to spend eight hours a day somewhere yeah, away from your family, away from your house, away from the things that you're passionate about, then let's make it mean something. Yeah,
1: no, I completely agree. I think we have this culture. This is another thing that I've noticed as I think that we just have a culture like humanity seems to have a culture and maybe it's just Americans I don't know but this um it's almost like a uncomfortable work culture has become a meme where it's like oh I hate my 9 to 5 oh everyone hates their 9 to 5 everybody everybody you know is miserable and depressed and taking medication and drinking and doing drugs because we're all miserable but we're all in this together and it's like Did anyone stop to think maybe we should change
0: this? Yeah, let's normalize the suck and let's not fix it. Let's not even talk about the fact that somehow we're wearing that we work, you know, eighty-hour weeks as a badge of honor. Yeah, that's messed up. (laughs) We have got our work cut out for us. Oh my god, we do. But you know what? I'm excited about it. Me too. I'm excited about it because there is. So much opportunity. There's so much more. And I love this because we see what's possible. And it's not just you and me. Yeah. Collectively, there's a lot of us that see what's possible. And what we're trying to do is help others to see the same vision, the same possibilities. And your writing doesn't. So keep going, keep writing. And I'll keep sharing and I'll keep tooting your horn.
1: That is my comfortable space. Um, Usually doing interviews is not, but this has been great.
0: That's because we like each other. (laughs) (laughs) The purpose of this talk show is we show up and we're authentically talking about what's on our heart, what matters to us, and we go with it. And it takes us in some amazing places. And Sometimes we go off the beaten path and sometimes we have just blazed a whole new trail. And you know what? I think all of that conversation is important. And I hope that it has mattered to you and has helped you in your life. It has helped you know that you are not alone. You are not sitting in the suck by yourself. We have all been there. And that there's some really crappy things that happen in the work world, but that Jamie and I are part of trying to make that better. She writes, she uses her incredible talent. I speak and together we come together, all of us, because that rising tide raises all of our ships. Mm -hmm. So keep rising. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. If you are someone who likes to help people and share what has made a difference in your life, please share this talk show with a friend and on your social media accounts so that you can be the blessing in another late identified autistics life. Be sure to tag me at social Audi so I can personally say thank you. And to help keep the talk show ad free, please consider becoming a one-time or recurring supporter through either buy me a coffee or the anchor podcast links in the show notes below. I truly appreciate your support. Thank you for being a listener and thank you for adding your voice to our story.